Welcome back to the show, folks. This is the first episode that I've produced in 2023, so Happy New Year. I hope all of your resolutions are holding fast. I don't make resolutions myself because my problems are so plentiful that I try to quash them as they arise so as not to become overwhelmed by the end of the year. In other words, I can't wait until January 1st to fix myself or else I would. One thing I do resolve to do this year, though, is have more meaningful conversations with people I respect and admire, and today's show goes some way in doing that. Before we get there, however, I'd like to remind folks that you can now buy merchandise on our website. Simply head over to raisedbywhoops.com, click on the Capitalism tab, and if you see something that piques your interest, such as a mug or a pair of boxer briefs or perhaps a phone case, Follow the easy steps to complete your purchase, and your quality order will arrive swiftly and hopefully intact. If Raised by Whoops emblazoned merch isn't your thing, you can always give us a rating or review, or hit the follow button on whatever platform you listen on. This helps other people find the show, and we always welcome more listeners. Thanks in advance for however you choose to support us, and if you just like to listen and not get involved... That's cool, too. We don't believe in paywalls or coercion here at RBW headquarters. One more piece of business. If you haven't yet, please go back and listen to Andrew's latest episode, A Christmas Tree Wasteland, that he posted on the 7th of this month. In my opinion, it's a beautiful and poignant meditation on the fragility of these lives we all lead. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do as well. Today's episode is an interview with Ohioan by birth and Texan by choice, singer-songwriter and producer Jerry David DeSicca. Jerry's latest album is entitled The Unlikely Optimist and His Domestic Adventures, a lovely album that touches on pet toads, rural life, and settling into a quieter, more intentional lifestyle. The album features Texas legends Augie Myers, Ralph White, and Frank the Wild Jalapeno Rodarte, as well as past collaborators of Jerry's Don Cento, Kanan Faulkner, Jovan Karsik, and Jerry's partner Eve Searles. I'm sorry if I butchered anyone's name. You can purchase the album and Jerry's other solo efforts at jerrydaviddesicca.bandcamp.com, or if you'd like a vinyl copy, you can order one at worriedsongs.bandcamp.com. Jerry also fronted Columbus, Ohio group The Black Swans for several years, and you can find their stuff at theblackswans.bandcamp.com. On top of Jerry's own work, he's also produced and or worked on albums by Larry John Wilson, Will Bealey, Chris Gantry, Ralph White, Ed Eskew, Rob Galbraith, Bob Martin, Garrett Teacaps, and possibly more that I'm forgetting. Be on the lookout for a new album from Jerry in late 2023, which he alludes to during our conversation. In addition to this impressive resume, Jerry is a perceptive, intelligent, insightful guy who is also easygoing and as humble as a person gets, a rare combo from my experience. He seems to intimately understand the pain of the world, and not only does he not let it destroy him, he works diligently at counteracting it with beautiful work and a beautiful spirit. 
I was thrilled when Jerry agreed to do this with me, and I hope you enjoy the talk. It was conducted over Zoom, so the audio is not pristine, but I've done the best I can with my limited audio knowledge to make it sound okay. I'm still learning when it comes to putting together quality audio, so please bear with me and know that each episode going forward will be an improvement on the last. In terms of the interview itself, I'm no Barbara Walters or Mike Wallace. May they both rest in peace. So please forgive any disjointed or awkward questions on my part. It's a work in progress, folks. I should also mention that near the end of the talk, I refer to the Black Swans album, Don't Blame the Stars, by calling it Blame the Stars, which completely alters the meaning of the title, so sorry about that. Lastly, we talked about two of Jerry's songs during our chat, Coffee Black, off of the Unlikely Optimist record, and First and Last, from his 2014 album, Understanding Land. I'm going to play you into the interview with Coffee Black and conclude the episode with First and Last. And next time you're browsing YouTube, look up the music video for First and Last. It's guaranteed to brighten your day. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you all soon. Where I hung my hat Sleep till noon Didn't need a spoon Back When I drank my coffee black Bar maids and bar lights Two shots and a six pack Spin the girls like a tilt of work I drank my coffee black And I've gotten sweeter With time, love and love And slowly more healthy Like sips from a cup Here I am I'm ready to wake up My tail to no avail Back when I drank my coffee black That was back when I drank my coffee black That was back when I drank my coffee black So, uh, yeah, I'm here with uh, Texas-based singer-songwriter and producer Jerry David DeSica. Uh, thanks for taking the time to chat, Jerry, and uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. 
So I want to start uh, with something that's sort of fresh in my head here. Uh, and I want to start by mentioning your, uh, your snooze letter. Um, oh, are you a subscriber? I am. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, so for the uninitiated, uh, it's a newsletter that you send out via email a few times a year, uh, updating followers on your life and work. Uh, listeners can sign up at jerrydaviddesica.com, by the way. Um, so after reading your latest newsletter, which you called your year in rebuke, and uh, also having heard several interviews with you over the years, um, I think you'd have a decent shot at, this is just my opinion, but I think you'd have a decent shot at a comedy career. Um, where does that, uh, where does that sense of humor come from? And, um, like, do you, are you interested in, uh, well, I mean, you, first of all, where does it come from? Because you seem to have a natural ability and are you interested in comedy at all? Like, do you watch stand-up comedians or do you watch sketch shows or anything like that? I, I don't, but I think that's more because, uh, I mean, I definitely grew up watching stand-up comedians as a kid, like is a, like an eight and nine year old watching the Johnny Carson show and Letterman and then being a very, very early fan of Conan O'Brien and, and things like that. But um, I kind of tired of stand-up comics, and I've only seen very few in person, because um, I think it's something about the expectation of humor that I find less funny in that format. Although I did uh, uh, try to open up for uh, Stephen Wright once. And um, who who I like quite a bit, and I had planned on just doing. I almost had this promoter convinced that I was a comic. This was quite a long time ago, like kind of at the cusp of everybody in the world having a website. Um, and so I almost had him convinced that I was a comic, and I had planned to uh, go up on stage and tell two or three jokes about airplane food. Um, and dance and walk off. Um, so, yeah, I think that my sense of humor tends to fall more into uh, either not funny at all or bordering on antisocial. Right, right, okay. I, I mean, I just, I just seem to relate to it. So, um... well, I appreciate that, and I, and I think um, uh, as somebody that plays acoustic guitar and sings songs. Um, it tends these days to be a pretty earnest world of music. And um, my songs, like a lot of my favorite songwriters, have a lot of humor in it. And um, a lot of the folk singers that I used to see that are no longer with us were very funny on stage, even if they played these very serious songs. So that's always been something that, like, my live shows, when it's a listening audience, is, I wouldn't say half stand-up, but um, I have been accused of doing a tight five intro, a two-minute song. Right. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, not exactly music-related. Just uh, just wanted to know that. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate that you enjoyed this newsletter. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The, I mean, I won't get into details about it i mean like i say if listeners want to sign up they can sign up but uh my uh my girlfriend and i were uh having a pretty good laugh over uh, over some of the bits on there so um oh good i'm glad yeah 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 man um 
So I, I just want to ask uh, as well about your uh, your recent run of uh, California shows with Bill Callahan. Um, can you talk about just uh-huh. how you how you know Bill and just how the tour went generally? And uh, sorry for the multi part here, but um, more specifically, uh, just what is your relationship to live performance? Like, is it something you uh, look forward to and enjoy, or do you look at it as a necessary part of the job? Well, I've always enjoyed it. I don't think I was really good at it until right about the time that I stopped doing it as much. Um, probably the last couple of years that my old band, the Black Swans, were around, I was touring at least 50% of the year for the last couple of years. I kind of given up my apartment and uh, driving around in my van and Sometimes I had band members that played on the records and sometimes I didn't. Um, And then it was just more about sort of the journey and the adventure and nothing that involved like uh, goals, I guess, is a good way to to put it. It was was more uh, about the experience. And, you know, as soon as you start working with labels and booking agents, which I have, you know, a little bit off and on over the last 15, 20 years, you know, there's definitely like expectations. You can't really do that. You know, like if you have a booking agent, they don't want you, they want you to play markets and they want you to not overplay in certain areas. And I was very much towards the end of the Black Swans, like, you know, trying to play tours that I didn't have to drive more than two hours to the next gig. Right. Um, right. And so I really love, I love touring actually when it's, when it's done well and it's done smart and now it's harder than ever to find good venues. And actually sort of the pandemic was the last nail in the coffin for a lot of the venues that I would play because they were art spaces or they were independent venues. Um, And there's just fewer of those, especially in expensive cities. And most people want to play in expensive cities. Most people want to, if you're going to do this, you want to play places where there's, you know, uh, music writers and more people, basically. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. like, so, you know, your chances go way up of getting 100 people to see you play in a night if there's a million people that live in the city. Uh, yeah. You know, that that said, when you play in a really small town um, and, and you have 20 people there, that's that's a pretty high percentage of the population. So that's not bad either. A lot of the venues now are, you know, it's it's harder for somebody like me because people were booking me because they liked my music, um, right, not right. because I was paying their rent. Um, and it's very, you know, now it's now it's a lot harder for me. And I think I also tend to not want to repeat experiences. Um, so I don't want to do the same thing that I was doing when I was in my 30s. Um, and as far as like touring with Bill. um I met Bill like, you know, a long time before he remembers meeting me um, and knew his music because I used to work in a record store and he played in the record store at one point in time. But then when I moved to Texas, probably in 2000, I forget if it was in 2016 or 17, he sang on a record that I was producing of a songwriter named Chris Gantry that was going to be for Drag City. And we were doing some of the mixing in Austin um, with Stuart Sykes. And so I asked Bill to sing on it because I really felt like Bill's voice was a song that Chris Gantry wrote called Box of Crayons. And I kind of felt that 
Bill's voice would add this almost surreal quality to it because I think that this song Box of Crayons has a real innocence to it and um, and it's sincere, um, but it's also kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's also kind of a strange song. And um, so Bill sang on that and then through that, um, you know, we became friends and I did a tour with him also in California, I guess the summer before the pandemic. So that would have been like maybe 2019. Um, okay. And then he was yeah. nice enough to invite me for this last string of California. So basically I only go to California when I'm, when I'm writing Bill's coattails. Right. Um, right. But, uh, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, it's a, it's a very good listening audience. Um, they're super music fans. Um, and having done a lot of opening slots and tours for people over the years, you know, that's not usually the case for most people. Usually you're standing between a dog and its meat. You know, nobody's there to see the opening act. Usually don't get treated very well. Um, and Bill and his band are awesome. You yeah. know, um, they're, they're great. And it's also nice touring with people that you actually enjoy them as people and their music. And, and it's so now it's not really something I do as like some sort of like uh, career step or something or feel compelled to do. I just kind of do it when it feels like it's going to be positive and I can manage it with my work and home life. Yeah. Right on. Um, that Gantry album, was that House of Cash that you did or, or Nash Atlantis? Um, it's Nash Atlantis. So how Nash Atlantis was, yeah. yeah. House of Cash, you know, I got, I got to have my name on that, uh, as like executive producer with Johnny Cash, which was good. Um, but that was something house of cash. I love, it was just sitting in the vaults, basically the vaults, meaning, uh, Chris Gantry's one bedroom apartment. And somebody from the country <laughs> music hall of fame had called me and said, Hey, you know, you, you're good at working with these older guys. Why don't you give him a call and see if you can't help him out. And, and that became something of interest, um, that had been pitched to labels a long time ago and nobody wanted anything to do with it. Um, and I really felt like, I mean, I love Drag City as a label. I mean, they don't they don't put out my records, but they put out so many great records that are. And when I heard that, I just kind of felt like, you know, this is definitely something that they would be interested in. And it didn't sell a bunch of copies, but they liked Chris and his music enough that they gave us um, a small budget for me to go to Nashville and work with Chris and record with Chris and then do some overdubs here and mix the record. And so that became Nash Lantis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, uh, I knew you did Nash Lantis. I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Which, cash, which I but... love. I mean, I, a lot of, I don't think a lot of people love it, but it's, um, to me, it's like, you know, that, that record that somebody in their mid to late seventies should be making that it's, you know, it's not, that has lived a, a life, um, you know, either chasing the muse or chasing their tail or, or, or shooting themselves in the foot, you know, and it's, it's a record that I think, um, is, is like a, a very sort of, uh, like it's, it's a good epilogue, you know, and that's what, that's what I like about working with older songwriters is trying to capture those, those later years in, in a way that is kind of true to who they are and not, you know, whereas most music, you know, it's, it's like people are still, you know, it's like it never changed since the Beatles. You know, people were just obsessed with youth culture in terms of music. Um, 
but I, so I think that Chris's record is, is very much like, uh, um, it's unique in that way that it, that it kind of captures people's mistakes and regrets and disappointments in a way that is not maudlin, but is, um, just accurate, you know? And, yeah. 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 I think that's, uh, yeah, I think you've carved out a really nice niche there. And, and I mean, yeah, I, I just think it's, you know, some people when they, I mean, get into their 60s, 70s, whatever, I mean, maybe they feel like they've been forgotten to some regard. And I think it's fantastic uh, that, um, yeah, that you can shine some light on that. Yeah, and Chris, Chris Gantry is really unique, too, because he never stopped playing, you know, and he's like really physically fit. Um, so he's still a killer guitar player. Uh, he, and he can play and he can sing and he can still do it like at a really, really high level. Um, and he still writes every day. And so, you know, we did a lot of sort of like pre-production just in terms of, you know, talking about the songs and identity and and what type of record we were going to make. And, um, you know, so I think it's, I think it's really good record. Um, it's definitely not, it's not for everyone though i guess so yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah uh so uh i'm i'm not the i'm not a professional radio guy here so i'm i i would love to have a smooth segue to the next question but i'll just uh, i'll just move on and and maybe i'll get better at segues as we move along here but um um the uh the french radio station uh le village pop uh mm-hmm. i heard your interview with them um and uh I, I don't know. I like what they do there. I like their, their radio station. They had a podcast there for a little bit. I haven't seen an episode up in a while, but um, but I just appreciate what they do. I, I like their interview format. And they asked, um, one of the questions they asked you uh, was if you were a sensitive person. And uh, you said that uh, you were, there was a time in your life when you were almost too sensitive. I think you said dangerously sensitive. Um and then you also, and then you went on to say that as you've gotten older, your heart has gotten bigger and your skin has gotten uh, thicker. And I was just just wondering if you could point to anything specifically that has helped, like foster that thicker skin and uh, and larger heart. And uh, of course, I'm uh, asking for a friend. I'm always asking for a friend. Of course, yeah. um, I you know I think part of it is is getting older and. Um... Uh, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in, in writing and in the arts in some way at like a very, very young age. And, you know, and, and if you're going to get up on stage with, with a guitar in front of people and play your own songs, um, chances are you're probably a pretty sensitive person. And, and if you want to continue to do it, you, you need thick skin, not just because of the audience in front of you, but just the culture of music in general, you know, and, in being able to understand that when people talk about the, the music business, it's because that, you know, it's like this, this people cannot do their jobs for free, you know? And so you're taking something that you view as artistic and you're hoping that other people can monetize it. And, um, that's, that's usually in conflict. So you either need to, um, kind of come to terms with that on your own, um, or you need to uh, quit, 
basically. And I think that there's other things too that play into that. I mean, um, you know, you, you get better at talking to strangers, you get better at introducing yourself, you get better at rejection, um, you get better at uh, thinking that what you're doing is special and people telling you that it's not. And, you know, it's, it's, there's people, you can either kind of self-medicate or denial, you know, and a lot of people kind of lean into their ego as a manner of denial um, or become bitter, or you can just kind of become at peace with it. And at the same time, I mean, as um, I've always felt like, uh, you know, I'm lucky I get this much. Um, so I think that that is kind of, kind of created that, uh, kind of both sides, you know, when I say my heart's gotten bigger and my skin's gotten thicker and, um, being able to have that perspective that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of lucky I get this much in terms of, uh, how my music goes and how life goes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no, there's no real magic tricks. It's just kind of pushing through and uh and sort of doing what you have to do doing what you doing what's in front of you doing what you know you have to do i guess yeah i i think you do have to remind yourself that um you know if you were to ask you know probably any artist in the world do you want to be like an artist with a capital a or do you want to be a commercial artist or like an artist that can sustain themselves from their art pretty much everybody would say they want to be both. Um, but really, n probably now more than ever, um, there's very few people that get to be both. Um, and there never really was that many people. We, we look to different people in history and we say, oh, I want to be like this person or I want to be like that person. But um, they're usually the ones that are the exception, you know. Um, and so you do have to remind yourself, like, you know, uh, I mean, if, if I wanted to be more, if my goal was to be more popular, I would, I would write different songs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's that simple, you know, but if you want to, if you go into something and you say, I want to try to do something that's different. I want to do something that's unique. I want to do something that's not like other people's music, but I also want to sort of, and I want to sort of maintain sort of you know whatever sense of integrity or or whatever wherever the bar is for the stuff that you love and try to achieve that you have to be prepared for it to not to not be sustainable or to to have a lot of rejection because you're you're deliberately trying to do something different you yeah. know and and that's you know that's it, it does work out for some people based on luck or their personality and I've, I've met people that have been able to do both but um th there's very few people that that do you know yeah yeah well i can say you definitely uh succeed in the best way at at um that uniqueness um i remember uh years ago i uh emailed david berman um and asked him what advice he might have uh, uh for a you know a fledgling uh songwriter and you know that was his first that was the first thing he said was um you know try to try to carve out your own thing first and foremost and 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 try to do something that nobody else is doing um 
and I just think th those are always the uh, the musicians that I gravitate toward um, because, frankly, I mean, I I, I don't want to listen to boring music. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's a big market for for boring music, or there seems to be, anyways. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's harder for the stuff that's, I think, you know, even though, you know, the whatever people might argue about uh, the democracy, the Internet or something, which there's definitely some truth to in terms of people's voice being able to be heard. Um, you know, it's there's there's also metrics that are a lot clearer to everybody now than there were before, you know, um, and there's not the trickle down economics of the record business, which is what brought a lot of the people that we love so much that are unique up to the surface is, is, you know, other more popular music, um, you know, earning enough money for a label or somebody else to take chances on something that was maybe, uh, would have remained in the periphery a little bit more. Um, so it's a tough thing to do. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, records are not cheap to make, um, uh, they, they've not gone down in price to like record or they've definitely gone up in price to manufacture if you want to do a physical release. Um, and, uh, so all that stuff is tough when there's, there's not a lot of, when you're paying for it yourself. Um, so it's very easy for, I think people to get kind of discouraged. Um, yeah you know, yeah. by doing something different. So it makes sense that people would kind of lean in to trying to be, you know, more things to more people, I think, too. Yeah, and everybody wants to feel feel the love, too, I guess, to some degree. But, yeah, and, you know, you need yeah. to, I mean, you very much need to, like, if you want to support yourself doing it, you have to play on bigger stages. You know, there's not a club scene like there was before. And so if you're not playing music that is bigger and louder you know um you're not going to get on those stages yeah um it's just it's just not going to happen um so that kind of that's sort of a funnel for some people's decision making too and like i said i don't i don't think that you know everybody kind of has to make that choice for themselves but it was just something that um you know i i've a couple times had bigger windows of opportunity and and I didn't go through them at the time, and it wasn't really because um, I I thought that I was above it or something. It was really like a combination of it wasn't something that sounded fun to me, plus the ego that I was always going to have these windows of opportunity come up. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's usually not the case. You know, I, I feel like I had maybe three or four windows of opportunity. Most people get one or two. Um, and you kind of have to go through it if you really want to give it a shot. Um, and you know, now I'm, now I'm in what I, you know, I'm in my late forties now. So I'm, I'm like in my, historically, this is sort of the wilderness years of songwriters, you know, it's, there's not, there's not, you, you have to kind of see yourself in the, the context of these things, you know, the record bins are not flexible. So when, yeah, you, when yeah. you do get to a certain point, you kind of have to be like, okay, well, I'm still going to do this, but maybe it's not my turn anymore and, and be okay with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. There's a, yeah, coming to peace with it to a degree, but yeah, so, some people too, they really seem to, um, 
relish in that in that in that fame um i don't know i'm not trying to sound like a a hipster or anything mm-hmm. but like but like so you know i i do happen to like you know kind of the i don't know what some people refer to as like the innocent climb you know the first couple of records that a musician puts out and, and before they um you know um hit it hit it big or something i i, I like that 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 raw stuff before the albums become too slick and and their heads swell a bit too much i i uh but anyways that's uh yeah it's it's i think it's a tough thing to do i mean i never you know the the black swans records and my solo records have always like i've always kind of been making one of them before the next one comes out and part of that is you know probably you know like uh not wanting to second guess myself but i think that for a lot of people you know there is something about the early records that are less self-conscious um that is very appealing and then once you get some attention it's very easy to become more self-conscious about what you're going to do next right you start to feel the feel the pressure yeah internal or external yeah yeah um all right um I I, uh, I wanted to ask you about a, a song. So I really love your uh, your song uh, "Coffee Black" from your most recent album, uh, "The Unlikely Optimist" and his domestic adventures. Uh, anybody listening, if they want a digital copy of that, they can head over to uh, JerryDavidDeSica.bandcamp.com, and I believe vinyl copies are available at WorriedSongs.bandcamp.com still. Um, and so yeah, Coffee Black is on The Unlikely Optimist, and my read on it is, uh, and I'm not great at uh, deciphering, uh, you know, lyrical themes, but my read on it is that it's kind of a reflection on the rewards of a slower, less extreme, and healthier existence, and I also heard you say that uh, you play a game called uh, Do I Need It or Do I Want It, which is your way of uh, not getting caught up in accumulating stuff you don't need or buying things simply to beat down a negative or an unsettled uh, feeling. Um, as someone who has just entered my fourth uh, decade, I, I just turned 40, um, this sentiment really resonates with me. I really love the idea of a simpler sort of pared-down lifestyle where I'm more conscious of what I purchase and of what I put into my body. But um, I was wondering, though, do you still leave a window open for indulgence or excess? And um, also... Do you think that depriving oneself of easy pleasures can be used as like a creative tool? Uh, I do not deprive myself of pleasures. I don't think um, I'm. I'm definitely more careful about, um, you know, you know how far I go out to uh, the ledge, but. Um, you know, I've always been somebody like I've I've always been somebody that needs to be active and doing things and stuff. So, um, but in as as far as like uh, stuff goes, you know, I'm definitely not a minimalist. Um, I, but I've only ever bought, you know, I only buy like the same things my whole life. You know, I, uh, you know, buy music. You know, I still buy music every week. Um, physical media you know records and tapes and cds basically um and you know is in terms of like playing the game want or need i mean i am probably a little bit more careful in person when i'm in a record store thinking about whether or not 
I want to take something home. But I mean, I, it's still my favorite art form. Um, not just because of like, you know, sound and, and vinyl and things like that, which is, I guess, a, a negligible point of view. But, um, you know, I just like the album. I like the artwork. I like the I like the whole thing. I mean, I guess some people buy artwork to hang in their house and I buy artwork to put on my turntable. Um, right. And, uh, you know, so I don't I don't spend money on many things, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, the idea of thinking about things in terms of a need or a want can also kind of be like, you know, a waste of time. I mean, my partner Eve always tells me to kind of take the middle road on this sort of stuff and not stand in a store for 15 minutes thinking about which category it's going to fall into before I take my wallet out. Um, but <laughs> But I do, you know, I work with special education students. And so one of the things that we talk about, like early on when we're talking about money and independent decision making is, is wants versus needs. Um, and so I guess I, I've brainwashed myself and that is infiltrated into my own life as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, ju I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Like I, I, uh, I notice with myself sometimes and that like you know if i kind of stay away from you know booze or or pot um i i need something to fill that void so you know creativity sometimes mm -hmm. takes its place and um i've never been able to like be creative when i'm drunk or high or me neither i mean yeah I, yeah. I, yeah when i you know i i work on stuff all the time and i'm you know if if I were to lean too far out into the ether, like I'd never get anything done that I want to do in life. And and that has really actually been the thing that really kept me probably safer when I was in my late teens and throughout my twenties, actually, when you know, when I wasn't probably as, as mentally healthy. Um because, you know, I had goals. I had things that I wanted to do in life, just simple things like, you know, drive around the country and drive around the world and play guitar and make records and be a part of that world. And not coming from any money, I knew that I needed to be really careful about the decisions that I was making to be able to do that because there wasn't there was no safety net. Um, but I yeah, I think it's like that's the kind of stuff that you know, like, uh, we don't have any kids. So, you know, the other thing is like, you know, when I buy something or I buy another guitar or something, I am thinking like, what's going to happen to this stuff when we go, you know, right? Yeah. where's, I yeah. mean, you, you literally can't take it with you and, you know, my goodness. So, um, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get caught up in that thinking if you let it. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, people should be thinking about what they spend their money on or who they give their money to. So like anything, it's it's uh it's a slippery slope, I guess, how much how much headspace you give to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, interesting. Um all right, uh switching gears here. Uh let's see. Um so I I was just kind of curious about um like I was down in the hill country in like 2012, I think. Oh, you were? I think that's uh, what you're, maybe we moved here then. Maybe it was 2013, but. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what was, were you I, doing down here? 
Um, I, I just I, I, we flew into Austin um, and just wanted to spend four or five days in Austin, um, and we did. But my uh, my girlfriend uh, is a really a big fan of the uh, visual artist Georgia O'Keeffe, and okay. she lived up in like Palo Duro canyon area for mm-hmm. a while and taught art up there i guess so okay we didn't we didn't really know um how far uh the panhandle was from the hill country so we flew into austin and we spent some time in austin and then we drove uh to like the palo Duro canyon area it was like an eight hour drive or something and mm-hmm. um so we kind of we blew a, a a good portion of our trip on the road but it was still really interesting to to see uh to see a, a a vast portion of that state. I mean, we went through San Angelo and Lubbock and right. and uh, Amarillo, and then we came back down through like Wichita Falls and Dallas and Waco and mm-hmm. back to Austin. We kind of did a whole circle, but um, I, I love it down there and I want to go again soon. But so I was just kind of wondering, like, it's a bit of a selfish question, but like, what do you guys, what do you like to do um, uh, down there? Like, do you, uh, do you go into San Antonio or Austin much? Um, like, do you, uh, do you have any other favorite spots to visit in the state? Um, like, are, are you more of a homebody? Do you love to go out? Do you like to go out and explore? Like, well, we're, wondering. we're definitely probably more homebodies just because, you know, I work full time, like very, very full time. So Monday through Fridays are pretty rough. I mean, if, if there's the show that I really, really want to see during the week, you know, I'll drive up to Austin into san antonio san antonio is like 40 minutes uh when there's no traffic and austin's like an hour and 15 minutes when there's no traffic um but it's pretty hard for me to drive home at night anymore i mean i've got a couple friends that i can crash with in austin um but uh it's you know we've we also have like two dogs and we have cats and stuff so it's like I'm always real concerned about how long we're gone with the animals. And so if we go together, it's, you know, who's going to watch them or are we going to take them type of stuff. So all those things kind of make you more of a homebody and there's nothing to do in the town that we live in. You know, there's a post office and a convenience store and, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's super cute. There's a wine bar that we don't really go to. And there's a, there's a, uh, rodeo um basically in our backyard a couple miles um but uh we basically just stay at home and and it's we have a very small house on like an acre and a half and so it's just really quiet you know um but when i do i do go into austin you know to see friends or or to record or to go to a show for sure um in San Antonio, has great shows, and I've got some friends down there. There's some other towns around here, like New Braunfels was a town we lived in when we first moved here, and that's probably like the fastest growing town in Texas. Um, oh yeah, we went to Green Hall too. Oh, you did? Yeah, there. I love Green y- yeah. Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hey, was yeah. that video that you was it Colors in the Sky? Uh, did uh-huh. you film that at like Schlitterbahn? No, the, uh, oh, that. Oh, okay. That was like um, a film director in LA made that. So I think he was in like a desert out in California. 
for okay. colors in the sky. I, w- I wasn't there for that video. Wait, oh, which oh, one am I? Th- oh, you're thinking. Which of, one am I thinking oh, about? Right, uh, first and last. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that was um, next to Schlitterbahn. When we moved to Texas, we didn't know anything about New Braunfels. We thought we were going to move to Austin, and then Eve got offered a job in San Antonio. So we picked a town in between, and the only place that called us back to rent a place was a tiny little house across the street from these mansions, right where the Comal and the Guadalupe Rivers meet. And so that's where I wrote all of the Time the Teacher record, and that's where we were when I released um, my first record, Understanding Land. And our friend Matt Bauer was visiting us, and he made the video for First and Last, where I'm, like, floating down the river. And that was actually in January, which is why nobody was on the river. So during the summer months... It's body to body, and it's kind of gross. Um, it's a real sort of party scene. But during the winter months, the water's, you know, it's chilly, but it's not cold. And, you know, you can float on the river. We lived about probably 300 yards from the last two entrance and about 100 yards from the last exit. So, you know, I could come home from work, and there was still enough daylight in the winter that I could walk down um to the tube entrance and it kind of had a horseshoe shape and an hour and 15 minutes later, I'd be at the exit almost by our front door. So it was a great place to live the first year um, that we were there. And so that's where the first and last video was, was made. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched that a bunch of times. It's uh, got a nice sort of peaceful vibe to it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I I love that. It's like it, I I watched it for the first time in years um, a couple of months ago and it kind of reminded me of, you know, I was like, Oh gosh, I forgot what our place looked like. And our cat squirrel is in there and I forgot how tiny she was and, (laughs) you know, just kind of what it was like. Uh, I could kind of see the, the newness of it all on my face and Eve's face when we were on the front porch. It it was just, um, you know, whenever you move somewhere and it's, you know, you know, especially coming from, like Ohio to the Texas Hill Country, you know, everybody and everything was like a peacock. Everything was new. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, I mean, I I just thought it was so great running into like real cowboys that, you know, when I'm having breakfast and you know, it's like you're seeing people wearing spurs because they have to. You know, right. I mean, so, um, yeah, it was. We've we've loved moving down here for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's um. I kind of live in you know, the Midwest, I guess, Canadian, mm-hmm. Canada's version of the Midwest. I mean, I'm only five hours from Columbus. So yeah, I, I, I think we grew up in similar environments, kind of gray and flat and cold. And, yeah. um, and in Canada, like we don't have many options. I mean, if you want warm weather, you go to like Vancouver and pay like 3000 a month for rent or whatever. So we don't have that option of like heading down to Texas. Um, I don't have any skills that, uh, the Texas government wants. So, um, even though I would absolutely, absolutely love to, and, and yeah, you talk about the newness. Yeah. The, there, there's always a, um, did you, did you actually grow up in the city of Columbus or did you grow up outside or? I grew up in Cincinnati and before that, like in a suburb of Cleveland for a little bit, but mostly Cincinnati from like sixth grade through high school. And then, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Went, Uh, went Went to school in Columbus for college. Oh, I see. Okay, so you went to like uh 
Ohio yeah. State. Ohio yeah. State for okay, that's where Columbus yeah. comes in. Okay. Yeah. And then I you know, I'd kind of before I made records, I'd moved to Albuquerque and then Philadelphia and then moved back to Columbus in like I guess the spring of two thousand or something. Okay. And so, you were just uh I've heard you mention Philly and Albuquerque a few times. Like were you just um like like what was there? What what brought you to those places? Well, um I was I graduated and I was working at a record store in Columbus and I was going to go up. I had some friends in Boston and in Cape Cod. And so I was going to go up that way. Um, and I was up there for like a month or two months, I guess. And right before I left the guy that owned the record store, he and this other guy had this kind of harebrained scheme to open up a record store in Albuquerque and they wanted me to do that for him. And so I, uh, I said, yes, and went down there and it was it was kind of ill-fated from the beginning um and then after that i you know i i met well i didn't meet i started dating a woman that i had been friends with and then we moved to philadelphia together um it was great i mean both both cities were great in their own way um you know it's it's that it's you know obviously it's like it's like before social media and stuff so it's hard to keep in touch with people then and a lot of the people that I knew then I didn't even know their last names but at the same time I have friends from those years and met people at those years that uh, that I'm still really close to and had pretty kind of profound effect on me and music and things like that it really kind of expanded um I mean I was already like a, a music obsessive from working in a used record store when nobody wanted records. But um, the people that I met in Albuquerque and, and in Philadelphia kind of kind of furthered my world quite a bit. So Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard you mention both of those places, but um, I've always wondered, uh, yeah, why you went there. Um, I, I've, uh, I, I've, I've heard you say before that like, uh, just in in terms of songwriting, like I've heard you say that songs come to you when you're driving or um, when you're just sitting on your porch. Um, basically, that you're kind of always thinking about songs. Like, and it it's the way you described it sounded sort of really easy and fluid. But I was just wondering, like, does the songwriting process ever frustrate you? Like, like does it ever feel like a chore? Or do you just allow your creativity to sort of come and go in an in an easy way? Uh, yeah, definitely the latter. I mean, I you know I write a lot of songs that I don't record, but it's not like I write a ton of songs. Um, I work really really hard on the songs that are on the records, and uh, you know I'm always kind of thinking about it. I mean, I'm also somebody that like you know I'm not amazing guitar player but i love playing guitar so that's been that's always been a really healthy outlet for me i'm also somebody that like doesn't like to sit down a lot so playing guitar is something that i can do um standing up and it's something that i can do that's not that that just takes me out of my own head um and and then it's like you know it's like the the, the words and the music kind of come together at the same time where I've got a little guitar piece or I've got a line or a couplet and um, that kind of triggers the other one. Uh, 
Um, and it's, it's definitely not a chore. I mean, I really, I really love it. You know, I, I love my, my only frustrations with music really are trying to, you know, get the sounds that are in my head, you know, kind of onto a record or something like that. Cause there's just so many variables. And I think that's something that, that most people that make records struggle with, but, um, the, the songwriting part is just something that is always just been something that is kind of kept me sane and, uh, is something that's been my own thing to, to pass the time and gives me something to do when I'm alone. Yeah. I, I guess sometimes what I struggle with when I'm songwriting is like, is, um, I guess what I sort of meant by chore was, I, I guess I can kind of sabotage myself in a way and kind of make it a chore by like, um, um, I don't know, just, you know, shitting on my own ability or something like that. Like, um, I, I like, can, can you just talk about like, um, how you keep your head up during the creative process when, look, this is going to sound really probably terrible, but, uh, I mean, nobody likes my songs more than I do. And, right. uh, I mean, if, if I wanted, I mean, not that, you know, of course, then you go and you, you put on one of your favorite records and then you can feel terrible about yourself or something. But, um, you know, I know what my good songs are in terms of songs being better than other songs. And, you know, I, uh, if, if I wanted, you know, and, and they're deliberate decisions, you know, I mean, like there's, I, and I guess that's, what makes it still something that's like making records and, and, and sticking your neck out there still kind of a healthy experience for me is because I listen to other things that people tell me to check out or that are popular. I'm like, good grief. You know, that's what I'm trying in life not to be. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't get too caught up in during the creative process of like, beating myself up about it it's like uh you know i very i treat it like uh sort of an agent of discovery um mixed with like you know like a an art project you and know you have, i i don't, I don't yeah. really see it any different than than people that i meet that are like around here that are like making furniture you know like or doing other types of art um it's like something that I, that I use to pass the time that is, you know, I mean, I, the, my only thing with my music is that I wish, you know, I like a lot of different types of music. Like it's, it's very, very rare that um, records that are like uh, a white guy with a guitar are what interests me that are being made these days. Um, so I, I lack, I think, the ability to make music that is, you know, that people can dance to, you know, I like a lot of kind of physical music. Um, but I can write songs that like are influenced by people that make physical music, you know, like uh, Joe Tex or Johnny Guitar Watson or somebody like that, um, that, you know, but I can't, I can't play funk or, or do disco or anything like that. But, you know, I wish I could, you know, I mean, I, 
uh, especially more now more than ever, you know, I, I, I have the personality for it. I think where I was probably more insecure when I was younger and really wanted to, you know, kind of had this very kind of grave and serious delivery and, and, and songs. Yeah. 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 Right. Didn't maybe where I didn't know how to use humor and lyrics yet or something like that. But like the whole thing for me, is just, it's a trip, you know, and I just, I love the whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I just, I love writing songs. I love rhymes. I love puns. I love language. I love the way words sound when they come out of my mouth, when I haven't heard myself use those words before. Um, so it's just something that's just always brought me joy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I yeah. think that's, I think that's definitely the way you have to look at it. If you're going to move, move ahead, ahead with it. Um, um, yeah, I guess it, this is just kind of like, uh, my own, uh, um, psychiatry session or something like that. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, like, like be, beating yourself up, uh, be, is, is a specialty of mine. So yeah. Um, but yeah, like if you can move past beating yourself up and just, you know, enjoy it and just, you know, I think, um, if you can find a way to do that, that's mm-hmm. obviously, that's obviously what you want. So well, it's the other, it's the other thing I like about records, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, you can't really, I mean, you know, in, unless you're, you're, they're just really short songs, you know, you know, if you write 10 songs that you're really happy with, I mean, you've got a record, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I sort of like that records are these, they're these very finite lengths of time that you can revisit, you know, I mean, not many, even people that have a favorite book, not many people read that book more than once or twice, right? you know, um, and so I just, I like the medium, you know, I, I like the album as a medium and and that kind of it's a it's kind of a nice way too that you you know by the time a record comes out you know that's it's kind of like that's where i was 2 years before you know yeah. so it's also this this way for me where i'm just kind of like keeping track of myself yeah yeah that's a great way of looking at it too yeah um i wanted to ask you about um like i, I was wondering I've wondered this for a while, but like, I was wondering if it was just something I think about or if you think about it, like, um, does an artist's like personality affect the way that you receive their art? Um, like I was just like an example here. Like I really like Lou Reed a a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a pretty big fan, but like sometimes, you know, when he's, uh, you know, doing an interview or something, he, he can like punch down a little bit, uh, like, uh, yeah. you know, on, on the journalist and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes it, it's like, like, I was just, I was just wondering, like, do you kind of give like brilliant musicians, um, carte blanche, uh, on a personality level or, or does it affect the way that you listen to them at all? Uh, well, first I will tell you that I met Lou Reed once and he was the nicest person in the world. That's great. Uh, and, and I, I went to see him on the, um, set the twilight reeling tour and it was in Cleveland and it was probably 15 degrees outside. 
And after the show, he sat in a parking booth attendance little, you know, like just the booth. And he had a space heater in there um, so that people could go up and uh, wait in line and get his autograph and say hi. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and uh, not many people did because it was so cold out. But he stood in there and um, there was about, I don't know, 15 to 20 people that went back there afterwards. And um, uh, he was super nice, you know. And he was, uh, I think I, he asked me if I liked the show. And, and I said to him, yeah, I wish you had played more than new songs. Okay. And, uh, and he was pretty excited about that, you know, and I, and, you know, I mean, I think he, you know, uh, and, you know, I, and I'm sure, you know, I, that was, I was probably 20 years old at the time or something like that. So, you know, I think he, like most people was of that age, probably likes that younger people were, were going to see him and people were interested in his new music. So I'm sure that helped, but, um, he was super nice, but yeah, he definitely punched down more than he punched up. I think a lot of times. Um, and I, I, I would like to say that like, uh, um, somebody's personality doesn't affect me liking their music. I think a lot of times somebody's personality more with music than probably, you know, people get really, I, I'm not somebody that, really cares about actors or, or things like that. But like, um, but I think a lot of times people's personality reflects their music. Um, maybe not the music they made when they were younger, um, but probably the music that they're making when they're in that moment of who they are, that people are making a decision about whether they like them or not, you know? And, you know, I, I know a lot of my friends were really like, bothered by van morrison stuff from a year or two ago and it's like yeah yeah well it's like well you know i mean i don't think van morrison's probably made a good record in 20 some years and even that might be generous so it's like that doesn't like who van morrison is when he's in his like late 70s does not affect me enjoying Moondance in any way right um right, right. and uh you know, but, but it's like, I don't need to know anything about somebody to like or not like their music. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about because I will tell you, like, you know, I can hear, um, PYT or, um, uh, rock with you or something like that. And I can enjoy those songs without ever thinking about Michael Jackson being a pedophile. You know, right. Yeah. Because I think that somebody that's like that level of stardom never felt super personal to me. But yeah. there there was a musician that I will say, you know, and I don't want to I mean, it was public at the time. But anyways, she did something where she like vandalized a tree. And I found that really upsetting. And I got to say, it made it hard for me to enjoy her music um, and clearly vandalizing a tree is not nearly the crime against humanity as pedophilia. Right. So, um, but there was something, there was <laughs> something about that that just like really rubbed me the wrong way. And, 
um, and, and I'll, and I'll tell you another thing of somebody's like personal life that's, this is, that's really upsetting that had kind of an impact on me was, um, you know, a couple, one of my favorite songs, I'm a huge Lou Reed fan too, but like one of my other favorite songwriters, I would say like Lou Reed is, you know, definitely top 10 and another top 10 one for me is Tom T. Hall. And it, it really bothered me in a, like a really deep way when I found out that this kind of came out a few months after he passed, that it was suicide. And, right. um, it really affected me in a, in a pretty profound way because that, you know, though that's a personal choice and, and he's a great example of somebody who was, had already lost his wife and probably having some issues with his cognitive abilities and, and probably alcoholism and stuff like that. Obviously not the same person when he wrote most of his songs 40 years earlier. Um, it was really challenging for me to put that puzzle piece together in my head that this person that wrote all these songs about finding humor and humanity in the darkest moments of life would take their own life. Um, even though it was probably more circumstantial um, in a different way than a lot of people when they make that decision or they accidentally make that decision. Yeah. Um, so, so I understand when people say like, you know, somebody's what you learn about somebody personally would affect the music and 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 i'm you know but i love chuck berry i mean you know i mean i love jerry lee lewis and um and i know a lot of other singer songwriters that are older that a lot of people love that um you know have shared things with me about their life and i'm like you don't want to tell anybody else that yeah you know yeah, like yeah, i mean yeah. you're you know you're dealing with a legacy you know in in a lot of ways yeah. and um so, I mean, it is challenging stuff. People, I mean, I think the thing that's different is that music to a lot of people when they're big fans is extremely emotional. Um, and I know people feel that way now about television. My God, you tell people you don't like a TV show they like. It's like you you insulted their dog or something. But like... Yeah, I've got that before, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like... Uh, but music's always been very personal. And so it's it's one of those things that everybody has to make a decision about i think like you know you know how does it make you feel when you're listening to it you know does it make you feel gross or does it make you feel bad knowing something about this person but in most cases i think the person that created something beautiful and the person that disappointed you they they rarely those two things rarely coincide with one another there's usually a lot of time between the two events. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that about Tom T. Hall. Um, wow. Yeah. He. He. I've. I've listened to a lot of his stuff too. My mom was a big Tom T. Hall fan, but I. Uh, I've had trouble finding his music. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Like like finding physical. Yeah. Uh, forms of his music, but. Um, the records I, are. I mean, they. I. I've had them all for so long, but I mean, they used to be everywhere for a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really, I mean, there's a couple of records that were always harder to find, but I mean, he definitely sold a lot of records. I see him. 
Yeah. I used to see them around quite a bit. I mean, but you know, Ohio record stores were always great. So, you know, we always saw tons of, tons of cool stuff all the time in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's kind of a silly question. I just sometimes like the, the whole personality thing, but I just, sometimes I just wrestle with it a little bit, but, um, I was just wondering what you thought. Um, I've just got a couple more here, Jerry. You've been okay. really, you've been really great with your time. Um, uh, I just wanted to know, like, besides songwriting and um, producing, uh, I, I know you've said that, like, there was a time when you said you were working on a on a book. I was wondering if there were any other art forms that interest you besides, like, music. I, I know you've mentioned fiction writing. Is that still the case? Is that still something that... Yeah, I've still, I've had this novel that I've been working on, you know, uh, off and on, like every time I get kind of on a hot streak, I think I'm going to finish it. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess I can blame Bill for inviting me on the tour because as soon as he invited me on the tour in October, I had to start practicing and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, so I need to get back into it and, and it is hard when you're working a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm still, wor- I plan to finish the novel. I'm like, uh, Oh, I don't know four fifths of the way through. Um, and so I feel like it is going to be completed sooner than later. Okay. Um, just pure fiction. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, so, uh, art forms. No, I mean, I used to play a lot of chess, but I gave that up, uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, cause it was, I, I, wasn't dedicating enough time to it and I was getting more frustrated and it was, it was becoming more of a stressor than pleasurable, which is kind of been my relationship with chess where I kind of go back and forth on it, uh, for, for most of my life. Um, and you know, I mean, I have hobbies, you know, I guess I, you know, I walk the dogs and I play with our pets and I've got my pet toads and, uh, uh, they don't really like to be touched, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> and you know just you know i cook um spend time with eve you know that's pretty much it i mean you know my job's like 50 hours a week um so that's a lot yeah it is it's a lot um so between like music and and just you know household stuff you know i stay I stay pretty busy. I mean, you know, I drink beer. That's like a, I guess that's a hobby too. You know, I Tecate. Tecate. I've kind of switched to Modelo the last couple of years. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't for Mexican beers, I'd never even drink a beer, honestly. You but You don't like Shiner? Yeah, Shiner's okay. Shiner's okay. Uh, I, I don't, I don't love it, but I mean, I don't, I don't drink like, you know, if I go to somebody's house and they have like IPAs or something like that, I won't. I probably won't drink them or anything like that. Uh, right. But uh, so I like I like drinking beer. I like drinking wine and sitting in front of the fire and, and listening to records. And um, you know, it's I talk to my friends on the phone quite a bit. Like I'm I'm very much in touch with yeah. a lot of people throughout my life. Um, and again, it makes it way easier because, you know, I live in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, if I lived in San Antonio, I'm sure I'd be going out with some musician guys all the time or something like that. And so living somewhere more remote um, definitely kind of keeps the socializing down quite a bit. 
you know, yeah. which is, which is good. I mean, I, I, used, you, to go, I, I used to go out every night when I was younger. So, yeah. Yeah. But you still, like you say, you still keep in touch on the phone. So that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was just, I, I, just before we started talking, there was, I was listening to some podcast and there was a study done at Harvard not that long ago uh, about happiness, what makes us happy. And of course, you know, relationships, uh, our relationships were, were, were the, sort of the, uh, the key cog there. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, so it's not, I don't think it's breaking news, but, uh, you know, but they can, <laughs> right. but, but, but they can be hard to, um, maintain sometimes. And I think, uh, main, you know, I think keeping up with relationships can be difficult, and if you can do it, um, I think you know all the power to you. That's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's always like I've always um, been very interested in my friends, um, and friendships have always really meant a great deal to me. And when they go sideways, um, which they rarely do for me, um, it's super painful. Um, but, you know, I, I have a lot of really good friends that are, you know, um, some of them very different than me, some of them a lot younger, some of them a lot older. Um, and so, yeah, it's, that's a very big part of my life, an important part of my life. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. Two more. Um, so James Toth, uh, posted a picture recently, uh, of, uh, Doug Som and, uh, Hank Williams there. Uh-huh. A- and you said, I-, I visited both of these grave sites. And um, I, I uh, it's a, it's kind of a hobby of mine too. I, I went to Hank Williams grave in uh, Montgomery and I, I circled uh, a-, a cemetery in Athens, Georgia, looking for a uh, Vic chestnuts, but I uh-huh. couldn't find it. And my girlfriend just said like, you know, if we don't get out of here soon, you know, you're going to end up in one of these, uh, plots but um so right we, we so we had to, I, uh, I would i would go to i would go to vic chestnut's grave for sure yeah yeah i didn't yeah. find that one um i went to raymond carver's i went to uh lane staley's condo you know where he spent the last few years of his life uh-huh. like I, I like that kind of sort of that morbid or tragic tourism mm-hmm. um but i have trouble sometimes articulating like to people why like sometimes people give me really strange looks or they think like well what like why would you do that and I do have trouble saying why, but I, I think it like brings me closer to mm-hmm. that person or something like, I don't even like both my parents are gone and I don't really even visit their graves. Like I don't do well. Like be, I think it's cause I knew their lives so sure. intimately, yeah. you know? And like, but like when I go to like a musician's grave, it's like, I don't know much about this person. And, and it brings me a little bit closer to like some of the sights and smells that, that they may have experienced and, you know, why this plot of land is important to them and that kind of thing. Um, can you talk about what sort of, uh, just what you like about that kind of thing? Yeah. I, I think part of it is just like curiosity. It's like, it's, it's really the, it's the finality of it all, you know, and, and there's something about people, especially for me, musicians or people that have made records that, uh, you know, it's, 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 they seem immortal when you listen to them on their turntable and, and their songs and their voices and their guitars are coming out of your speakers. Um, and it, it just, it, it makes them, it humanizes them and it's a curiosity. And, you know, I mean, what else are you supposed to do with your time? You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's like uh, people go and, and 
you know, uh, my mom, when she came to Texas, is asking me how far away Waco is because there's some, like, TV show she watches or something that takes place there of, like, houses or something like that. I mean, it's no different than that. You know, you you just want to be closer to something. You want to see if it's real. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I went yeah. to the Branch Davidian thing too when i was in waco you know just yeah i don't know i don't know what it is like you know people are like are you out of your, your fucking mind like why would you do that but i don't know there's just something about about that kind of thing that yeah uh, well next next time me. you're in waco you could go to tom wilson's grave which i went to who was the um the african-american producer for the velvet underground and bob dylan and zappa and 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 simon and garfunkel and you know uh and you know, there's there's nothing there. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, that is a lonely grave in Waco, Texas. But there's a really great article about him. You know, a couple of people have written about it. Um, uh, Michael Hall's a great writer that writes for Texas Monthly. He did a good article on him, and uh, so did um, gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, he's he's a producer out in California. Wrote a good article for him about in, in tape op. Um, Ian Brennan, that's who I'm thinking of. He's great, okay. great producer, record maker, fascinating thinker and person, um, and has made lots of great records with with folk musicians and, and some African musicians and stuff. And he wrote a good article on Tom Wilson too. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing stuff like that. I mean, again, like you know, uh, it you got to do something with your time, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't swim or ride a bike. So, I mean, I gotta, I gotta do yeah. something. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, do you know Otis Gibbs at all? I know who Otis Gibbs is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he has, a, he has like a YouTube channel. Yeah. He, yeah. I've he, seen some of his YouTube stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he does some of that stuff, you know, he'll mm -hmm. go to like the, the big boppers, you know, plane crash site right. or, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's just nice to know that other people are interested in this stuff so that you don't feel, um, so lonely i guess yeah yeah so so thanks for uh thanks for uh not making me feel lonely sure Jerry. i'm yeah, glad man. i can help all right um so uh one more thing here uh you uh on the year of rebuke uh you mentioned that you got your master's back i don't know how much you want to talk about this but like do you what's ahead this year for you um, um well yeah i'm gonna put out a new record you know i'm gonna it's gonna come out i think in the fall um, I'm probably going to put it out myself, um, I think, um, but, uh, which is a whole nother thing, but, uh, I feel pretty good about that. And I think the records, you know, I think the record's really good. Um, it's like, uh, I wrote it all on acoustic guitar and I worked with Don Sento, who's my buddy and producer up in Austin. And we replaced my acoustic guitar with some synth and some Moog and Profits and, um, there's a lot of horns on it, um, and we used a Lynn drum machine, uh, and yeah, lots of cool people play on it. So, um, somewhere between like, a, you know, it's got some Lindsey Buckingham kind of Scott Walker vibes to it, but also like, um, you know, John Prine and, you know, there's a sense of humor to it too. And you can, I think you, I think you can tell that it was written on a acoustic guitar in some ways um you know kind of there's definitely some lou reedisms for sure so um i'm pretty happy with it um so yeah i think i'm gonna press the vinyl myself and do the whole thing so i can um uh 
you know, have, have a little more sort of kind of control and own the record and things like that. So awesome. Yeah. So you, yeah. Uh, so, so Don produced it. Yeah. He produced it with me. Um, he's an amazing musician. So he played all the synth and organ parts and my friend, Brian Harnetti, who's like a great composer that does like, um, sound or kind of sound archival and collage stuff. Um, uh, played some electric piano on it um, too. And then we kind of built the horns and some of the other guitar parts and backing vocals around that. Okay. Yeah. I remember you mentioning something about uh, you talked about a, a record that Brian put out as well, like a spoken. Yeah. Word. Yeah, yeah. Brian's got some beautiful music. He, he actually had some um, Brian's Bandcamp page is is phenomenal because he has a lot of his home recordings on there um, that is solo piano. And then he also has some of the stuff that he's done where he uses texts and sound archives, um, as both like, um, like as a musical collaborator, but also as like a inspiration point, you know? Um, and he's done stuff with sound archives at Berea college and, uh, the Sun Ra archives, um, and so his his Bandcamp page is definitely worth checking out. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think we'll we'll close it up there, Jerry. I'll cool. let you get on with your night. Um, I just cool. want to well, say uh, thanks very much, man. What, yeah, well, thanks cool. for having me, Glenn. I really appreciate yeah. the invitation, and it's nice to meet you. I hope yeah. hopefully you'll uh, – I've only played Toronto once, but um, hopefully I'll get back up that way sometime. Yeah, man, if you ever, if you ever come up here um, – but yeah, I just wanted to say I I've followed you since uh, I think I picked up uh, um, Blame the Stars. Um, oh yeah, way back in the day, kind of on a whim, uh, and um, ever since then I just uh, I've followed you and and uh, you know bought your solo stuff, followed your social media presence, and um, you know along with your beautiful music, I just um, I've always just appreciated your insight, and I. I don't know. I just feel like a bit of a kinship there. I feel like, uh, you know, we see the world in a, in a similar way. So I just wanted to talk to you, uh, about that and just say that you've been a, a very positive, uh, presence in my life, even though I don't really, we don't really know each other that well, but, but yeah. Well, that's, that is super kind. And I really appreciate you saying that that's, um, and I hope we get to meet in person someday. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I I bet we will. All right, well, have a good night. Man. Okay, you too, right, Glenn. Take care. Take easy. Bye. Bye. In the morning, my mind feels free. As I watch the facts hide under a tree. But later on, as the day does progress, Sense of the world make my head a mess, and when it's dark, I lay down. The world is quiet, but I Oh, no, no, no.
by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website, which is raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, and take care.